all that I can do is fall in love with you for a short while. I'll be hanging around, waiting in the background till you throw me a smile. The only time I queued up for one was a couple of years ago when uh, that Arab Strap box set came out because I yeah. think that was. I don't even know if they put it on general release or if it was just a record store day thing. I can remember you being mildly yeah. obsessed about that. Yeah, the scenes of a special nature before box saying, set, I've got yeah. to be there, I've got to be there. <laughs> the first two albums, the vinyl reissues, the uh, yeah, loads of extras, an unreleased track. That was the big thing. Uh, it was like, I was willing to spend the 70, 80 quid whatever it was <laughs> just for the one, for new, one, the one new Arab Strap track. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's, that's the thing about. Um, we talked about a little bit about publishers now you have covers that are all very similar so you, you know you must have every one they did yeah. it with James Kelman Berlin, or Polygon yeah. did it with James Kelman mm. and you know it's it's really playing with people who have got OCD or something yeah, yeah. I need the whole thing yeah uh, so that's us ready to go I think it's, this is say Scots We Hate podcast number 17 and usually I say hopefully you know this will be a treat but I know it's going to be a treat because we've already had music played our guest today, along with the return of Chris Ward, hello, who has finally got over the fact that Jesus and Mary Chain didn't make it into the final <laughs> top eight albums that we did. Um, it's a festering wound. It is a festering <laughs> wound. And uh, we also have Aaron Arctic along with us as well. Hello, thanks for having me. <laughs> no problem at all. Um, this is actually we do. We now we're able to get the stage. We can get people we like in, and they can play <laughs> for us. It's very powerful uh, position. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit to Aaron um, about his music and then this is Record Store Day. We're going to talk a little bit about experiences of uh, record stores fondly remembered I think because there's less and less of them as it goes by <laughs> and music and just chat. That's the idea of it. Um, but yeah, Alan, thanks for coming along, for coming through from Edinburgh. No worries. Uh, as far as I know, I've got it written down here, that's why I know, by the sea. Notebook, Electronic Blood, The Boy in Brown, and In My Hands. That's There's nothing I've missed there. That's the list, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a big, because I, I really didn't uh, discover your music until um, In My Hands. And I was surprised, obviously I'm surprised I hadn't heard you, but um, I mean, how long have you been doing this? How long have you been playing? Um, playing, playing not that long. Um, I suppose... The, the making of the music started whenever I was about um, 17 or 18 mm -hmm. properly. Um, that's whenever I recorded By the Sea. Um, and then just since then I've just been um, recording away. Um, I try and do something at least once a year, if not two years. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. Just <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> it doesn't happen that way. <laughs> That's the aim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I think uh, Ian Banks is the same way to writing books. He tries to get one mm. out once a year. Um, there's lots of things I love about the music. There's, I listened to you play earlier on, there was one more thing I realised that actually your voice has got a quality of uh, David Sylvian about it. It was one of my favourite songs oh, right, from Japan. Okay. That's what I thought. But also, you, there's all, you've played a couple of acoustic tracks, but on the records, mm -hmm. there's a lot of, I'm not too happy with the term folktronic, 
But there is a lot of electronic stuff, yeah, aren't there? Yeah. No, I think um, it does get bandied about quite a lot, but um, if, if the shoe fits... <laughs> <laughs> or if the glove fits, whatever that saying is. Yeah, if something fits. Um, yeah, reason. no, I mean, it's uh, it's actually something I find quite difficult to do, um, describe my music. Yeah. Um, and it's funny you say, David uh, Sylvain, there, because um, I, anytime anyone ever tells me um, I sound like someone else or they ask me if I've got a certain influence or whatever, it's more often than not someone I've never heard <laughs> of before, which I like because yeah. um, it, it shows that I'm you know, at least unconsciously not copying anyone. <laughs> that's good, exactly. Um, you can say, well, I've genuinely never heard of them, so that's a good thing. Here's another couple, well, certainly one person, you, you know the band The Juridical? Uh, a guy called Vinnie Riley. Oh, I don't think I've heard of them. Well, excellent. Well, there's stuff on in my hands which is very much. He is mainly instrumental uh, guitarist mm. from um, Factory Records. He was around about the time when Factory was starting out in the... Well, in the Joy Division uh, New Order years, really, in the... the right it one, was Jury to Call and that Tony Wilson made dress up like Boy Scouts on stage, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. He, he, I'm not sure if it was, it's maybe, because really, it's just, it was at that point, it was just... Who the, was it, who is it that in 24-hour party people that he makes? Is it not a certain, is it a certain ratio? It is a certain ratio, I'm getting them mixed up. Well, it's, a um, yeah, it's this beautiful uh, um, guitar playing, you must, must listen to it, you, you'll see what I mean when you hear it. Um, and often done through uh, feedback and, and you know played around with uh, styles of it and it's just gorgeous. Nice. What going back to the idea of record store day? What they did do <laughs> and this is a classic Factory Records uh, move was the first album by the Duritty Column. The cover uh, was made out of sandpaper so that it would damage the records <laughs> on both sides <laughs> with people pulling it. In and out. So now it's worth an absolute fortune, but a great uh, piece of. Uh, um, publicity for them but it's, the music itself is it's absolutely gorgeous and it does your stuff does remind me of, of that particularly um, what the track Interrupt Me If You Don't Know was one of Scott Swayze's five best songs of last year and uh, yeah, I, I think it's a gorgeous track it's, I could have picked anything off in my hands it's a really gorgeous album so old folks go out there and get a copy <laughs> it's record well, well it'll be past for the time you hear this but yeah. in all good um, independent record stores <laughs> Now, um, but how did you, how do you think, I would say it's really difficult to talk about music, so I'm not going to push you loads to yeah. say what you think, <laughs> but um, how do you think it has, I mean, it's obviously developed a bit. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, um, I do, I do try and do something different with uh, every kind of set of songs you that I do. That. Um, I don't know if it always works, um, but it's the, the, the attempt is there yeah. anyway. Um, but yeah, I do tend to think in, um, uh, sets of songs and albums rather than kind of individual tracks. That, there does seem to be, with all uh, uh, your albums, there seems to be um, a kind of theme, a musical thematic going right mm. through. And uh, so the changes, you might not listen to two albums by and say there's huge changes there. But I think if you listen to all five or go through five, mm. th there are there, there are kind of progressions that all run. They're just very different, I think. Um, the other thing I've noticed is something like some of the later Tom Waits albums which become you know, more and more nuts but there's a lot of interesting sounds uh -huh. that are going on in a lot of them <laughs> as well I mean how did you you've also got some lovely melodies there and why, why did you decide I want to play around with this I don't just mm. want to be 
um, a kind of acoustic troubadour, if you want to use a word <laughs> like that, you know, and sit and strum. And what, what was you just obviously wanted to, to yeah. take these songs and play with them. Mm, um, well, the the way that I work um, generally is uh, by myself. Um, if I ever do get anyone else in to play other instruments or uh, participate, it's whenever I've got about ninety percent of the stuff done. Um, in my hands it just so happened to be uh, well part of the reason I call it in my hands is because it's just one that I ended up doing completely alone yeah. Um, but uh, yeah because I do work alone it's layers upon layers yeah. um, so kind of like uh, my gold field perhaps yeah. um, and that is just um, it, it's, it's just stuff that generally gets picked up and ends up getting mixed uh, together. Each layer kind of sits on top of one another and ends up influencing the one Absolutely. that came before it. And um, um, certainly um, I do, I am more aware of the quality of um, sound whenever I'm recording things now. Um, uh, but uh, it's, a lot of it is unconscious. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of mistakes, I've always said. Um, if I accidentally make a mistake or pick a wrong string or something like that then I'll more often than not leave it in <laughs> yeah absolutely right I, I think that's that, although how many bands can you think of that took them you know years and years to finish their album because mm. they were polishing and polishing and polishing and yeah, actually yeah. what you often want is the I mean a great example of this is the the Laz album when uh, Lee Mavers apparently um, wanted the right dust from the 60s on all the old equipment to try and get that <laughs> he wasn't saying but uh, and he but actually the original version of that which they went back to is hardly and it's just guys playing and it's got the creaks and the mm. things going on and it's much much more interesting mm. for all of that i think there is a return to that as well yeah yeah definitely yeah, no, well, I'm certainly not a perfectionist. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one way you can see you can artistically justify going, oh, that'll do. Yeah. <laughs> Lazy. That's another <laughs> way to describe it. But, um, yeah, no, it does. I, I just like to get things done. Um, it's something I've always prided myself on. I do finish things. <laughs> ah, that, that is, you know, no stone roses five years yeah. in the making. Um, well, we won't... Uh, I know people don't like to talk about their, their, their um, artistic processes and all that, because it all sounds a bit... You will hear two tracks, at least two, maybe three, but I haven't decided yet. Yeah. Anyway, a hidden <laughs> track. Uh, we do have, as we said before, we know we've got our explicit rating, so, uh, you know, you swearing over the top. Yeah. <laughs> so that'll be allowed. Um, <laughs> what I will say is, check out uh, Anne's music fantastic uh, website you can see you, 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 there's a lot of work going into that as well how many other people you can buy the music you can buy the t-shirts you can also buy hand-knitted scarves <laughs> and you know I think that <laughs> more of that I have to say um, and yeah you're, you're in for a treat because you're going to hear a, a couple of tracks at the end of uh, after this podcast but we will move on to the phenomenon that is now Record Store Day and um, we've got Chris in because he in the past I know has been one of these people queuing from, uh, you know, the night before, just to get his hands on a, we were just talking about a, a hidden uh, Arab strap track. Yeah, um, that was a couple of years ago. I mean, it's still a relatively recent phenomenon, yeah. Register Day. It's like past five years, I think. I think this is maybe the fifth year that it's happened. But it's really grown. I mean, it's really it become really a has. kind of uh, date in the calendar. Yeah. Um, well, this is what I was saying, you know, record stores for life, not just for record store day. true. I was saying that at the end on the way, oh. and I, I kind of feel like... Um, on Record Store Day, I kind of feel like 
my grand did like when when I was wee and we'd go to mass at Christmas and Easter and she'd only see like the people who only came at Christmas and Easter and you're like you're part timers or whatever <laughs> okay so it's a wee element of that it's like where are you the rest yeah, of the year yeah. you know usually uh, I can walk in tomorrow and yeah. nobody near me yeah, and I sailed yeah free to browse the racks to my heart's content uh, but this is the thing is like I, I mean it's a great thing to get people down at their local record shops obviously it's great to foster the community atmosphere and have the cakes and the performances and all the other paraphernalia that goes with it um but you know at, at the same time it it you know every weekend's like record store day for me i go in and spend yeah. silly amounts of money on vinyl so yeah. I, I kind of feel like i'm maybe not the target audience for a record store no, day no, it's to try and get people who don't go record shopping as much or maybe more uh used to just downloading stuff when they hear it was streaming uh, you know maybe more kind of d- digital based yeah. forms of listening actually, now, yeah, and yeah. actually getting back to the, the idea of having a physical you know something to show for your money or you know some you know the idea of like a record as uh, like an art like an artwork as much as you know this something you listen something to you know, that more and more people are doing and I've noticed and I know you um, it's not just you send a CD out you know mm. it's carefully packaged and thought about you know there's a lot of design. and nearly everybody I know that when I get sent music or you know from a lot of people who are are, are doing what you're doing making their own music you know yeah. writing the theme tune singing the theme tune all <laughs> that kind of stuff um, it's some really gorgeous stuff coming through and I think it records some days right you get people to see that you, there's a lot of this stuff out there because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of the limited edition stuff that they do I mean the, one of the obviously the main draw of record store day for a lot of people is that it's a limited edition product that's why people queue up outside on record store day it goes on sale specifically for a record store day it's limited to like a thousand copies of each release if that's some are 500 some are even smaller than that worldwide uh, and it's you know, it's coloured vinyl. They're like the music's no different, but you know, uh, one of the ones this year was a seven-inch single of uh, "Baby Love" by the Supremes on on like a pink heart-shaped oh. seven-inch. <laughs> uh, so stuff like that, you know, or um, you know, on, just on various colours of vinyl, just something that makes a collector's item, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and something that you can take home and say, I braved the queue, I got this, <laughs> you know, I survived Record Store Day 2012 yeah. and blazoned on your t-shirt. Literally got the t-shirt. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something like that. But you're absolutely right, I mean, it's a serious point to make. Um, buying, buying many things on the high street, but certainly buying music on the high street is really... I wouldn't like to be running a, a record store yeah. or a bookshop or anything like that. Well, the funny thing is, though, I mean, it's the independent record shops that seem to be doing better. Like, I would say... Monorail know their audience they know how to play to their audience they know what their audience is after and know that much better than say an HMV you know I would say like the long term prospects for Monorail are probably a lot healthier than the long term prospects for HMV at this point because HMV goes after you know like for want of a better word without wanting to sound snobbish about or anything like a mainstream crowd you know it's like it's people who are just looking for something to buy at the weekend you know whatever you know something that's charting something they've heard on the radio maybe buy a dvd while they're in or something like that and it's the kind of folk who maybe don't mind as much about like you know having a physical product to show for it they they just want the music and there's nothing wrong with that but at the same time that's an audience who can just as easily click on itunes you know i think the 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 way that hmv is going now is just trying to capture people who are passing by on the high street you know it's kind of the actual racks of music in there and they're at it yeah (laughs) yeah um 
Notice there's always a sale on as well. There's, uh, yeah. there's never a day that there's not a sale. <laughs> but, but people who go into like Monorail or Love Music or Avalanche in Edinburgh or whatever are people who have, you know who know it's there and who yeah. go specifically who like make the pilgrimage if you like mm. to, to go and specifically seek something out there. They maybe they get to know the staff. They can trust them for recommendations. Uh, they can find stuff even just browsing the racks. They can see something with artwork that they like or something that you know a wee description written on it by the staff or something mm. like that. Something that you know. And they feel they can trust the recommendations. I mean, Monorail does an album of the month every weekend. Yeah. Like, I think I've bought most of them this year so far. That is not, and in a lot of cases, it's stuff that I probably hadn't heard before, hadn't even seen reviewed. You know, mm-hmm. it's just stuff that like I kind of you trust know them. to trust the recommendations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's you know, it's been rewarding. I mean, some great stuff. I got the, the Francois and the Atlas Mountains album, uh, yeah. which is fantastic. Uh, the Belberry Polly album, yeah, the Belberry yeah, yeah. Tales, which is really good. Uh, and again, I probably. I think I saw it reviewed on a couple of websites, but not to the extent, to the kind of gushing extent I would have picked up necessarily, yeah. but yeah, and, like trusting their recommendation. And then latterly, the Lightships album, Gerard Loves, yeah, new thing, yeah, thing. from Teenage Fan Club. Uh, so yeah, it's nice. It's like, it, it's nice to have that kind of element of familiarity with a record shop, you know, and something that you, you kind of, you trust, you know, you yeah. find, even if it's just one, you know, not necessarily like every record shop in the city, but mm. even if you just find one the that you know place. are kind of in tune with your own tastes or something like this, then uh, it's nice to give them your loyalty. Absolutely. No, I um, think you're right. Um, all, all the record stores in um, Edinburgh that I go to do tend to have their own kind of personality. Um, there's Avalanche down in Grassmarket where the owner, Kev, loves to have a a big long chat with you he loves to talk about music so you can just go in and shoot the breeze Elvis Shakespeare um, down on Leith Walk you can go and just have a rummage through they've got all these drawers full of vinyl bursting with it <laughs> um, Voxbox Records and Oxfam uh, both in Stockbridge uh, are just really good bargain basements basically you can go in and pick up about uh, 10 records for under £20 so. That's the interesting thing. Actually, Oxfam have been kind of leaders in that way of yeah. really getting mm. big. They've got people in there that know when they've got something good. Quite rightly, you know, price it accordingly. <laughs> but it's still, you know, you can still pick up some real bargains and some real interesting things. Yeah. And it's a similar kind of thing. It can lead you to take a chance on something you might not have picked up otherwise. I mean, I first got into Fisker Do by uh, picking up a copy of Flip Your Wig on secondhand vinyl on Oxfam Music on Byers Road and I'd never really I'd never heard a note of Husker Do and I had just kind of heard the name bandied about and they're one of my favourite bands oh, now and it was just a case of like you know seeing it in the rack and thinking oh I've, I've heard of I've them kind of heard yeah. of them yeah, and then seeing it's only three or four quid or whatever and then suddenly you know it's this whole new world's opened up to you that kind of takes me back to you know record store early record store memories because my first ever purchase a vinyl with my own money, I can't remember age I was, probably about nine or something like that, was in the Woolworths and they had your bargain rank, a uh, rack, which I think, you know, single, seven singles, and I picked up Motorhead, double-sided picture disc, Motorhead on one side, over the top on the other side, and that was, that was the beginning of my kind of love affair with the music. I did have a cassette of ELO, but this was, you know, suddenly, and I was down every week, and whenever money you had, and this, and this is where you'd want to go. Yeah. So that was one of my first record stores. And then there was a place called the 23rd Precinct, not the one in Glasgow, it was in Rutherglen, where, uh, yeah, that was where, you know, pestered my folks to take me along there. So first record store kind of memories, what about you, Um Record store memories. I've uh, I've only actually really recently got into vinyl, okay. um, and I don't know. It's just it's just sort of 
something that naturally occurred. I used to buy CDs all mm -hmm. the time. Um, and did you go when you were buying CDs? Did you go to the big stores or did you? Um, where did I, where did I buy CDs from? Uh, yeah, I think I did actually. I think I did. I just uh, I was studying in London a few years ago, and I did used to go down. Um, uh, it's one of the wee side streets off. Uh, one of the main ones near mm -hmm. Tottenham Court Road. Yeah. Anyway, it's kind of it's um, loads of independent stores um, down In there. Soho. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd just sort of work my way through them and then get up towards Virgin or yeah. whatever that kind of thing. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I I can remember buying CDs for I think the most expensive one I ever bought was like seventeen quid. And that was for like a Roixop CD. Oh yeah. Um, and it wasn't. It was good, but it wasn't <laughs> worth seventeen. Well, that is the interesting thing. I mean, music has had to, as books have had to do. I've noticed that the newer the Mel's Hardback, which is a beast of a book, is only nine ninety nine in Waterstones. You know, it's a, straight away the prices have dropped in these mm. things. And it's not. I was a. You know, I would use big record stores. In fact, when Tower was in Glasgow, I was so happy because it was open late. You could go <laughs> and hang around. It's quite sad, isn't it? But. Um, uh, but there is what great uh, that you were you were, um, talking about Chris was the there's the kind of stench of death around the big ones isn't there I mean yeah. obviously Zavi has now disappeared and well, Virgin was Zavi wasn't it yeah yeah, yeah. and and HIV seems to be to going the same way yeah. but um, for a while everyone seemed to be able to survive there was the independent stuff when you wanted to find something a little bit quirky yeah. but you could also get you know three for twos and things like that. Yeah, it's really weird to think that as little as a decade ago, you know, he still had independent change, you know, like FOP hadn't been bought out by HMV yeah. and was mm -hmm. doing well under its own steam. Mm -hmm. You had um, Music Zone up yeah. in Sucky Hall Street and then they, I think that they opened in the Tower building as well just mm -hmm. before the entire chain went into administration. But I mean, they were the kind of, that was where I used to get my seat. I mean, I only started buying vinyl as well about five, six years ago like when I got my, my own turntable. But, um, yeah, I mean, for when I was like 15, 16, that's the places I would go and buy CDs because they were, you know, the cheapest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't so much a case of when you're 15, 16, and you, you know, you still are too young to have a, like a proper job and you just got like a paper round or whatever and pocket money, then, you know, you're trying to, you, you don't care about like indie cred or a case of like, where can I get the most for, for my money? But yeah. the thing is, you could, not that long ago, you could still go to the uh, to HMV, particularly the one on uh, Buchanan Street, and still find that really odd, you know, and there was the, a recommendation from staff and there was still a feel about people doing it that knew their music. Unfortunately now, um, I'm thinking of that scene in High Fidelity where the kid dad comes in and asks for, I just called to say yeah. I love you. Um, you know, now <laughs> it's, it's, it's all, that's where he would go because yeah. that's what's there now. It's all yeah, kind yeah. of, you know, Susan Boyle and Stevie's Gates Hits and all that kind <laughs> Um, so what was your earliest kind of record shopping? Um, God, the first one that I bought under my own steam, I, it wasn't a record, in fact I can tell you the first vinyl records that I bought under my own steam uh, were after I got my turntable, in fact it was immediately before I got my turntable, uh, it was just after my 21st birthday, I went in uh, what used to be Avalanche here and is now Love Music and it was all albums I had bought on CD that year and I wanted to rebuy them <laughs> just to hear As the I difference said, so, I got, yeah, so, so um, compulsive. I got um, A Brighter Beat by Malcolm Middleton uh, Neon Bible by Arcade Fire which was a double album but the music only took up three sides and the fourth side was etched with the Neon Bible logo oh, yeah. very lovely and uh, Boys and Girls in America by The Hold Steady which came on pink marble vinyl uh, so it looked like a bowling ball 
and uh, so that was my first vinyl, my first actual album I bought. On, I mean, I'd, I'd have albums bought for me. I'd ask my dad if he was in town. I'd give him some of my pocket money and say, can you go and buy this album for me in FOP? Because, you know, when you're like 11 or 12 or whatever, you know, you don't have that much opportunity to get into the city centre yourself or whatever and yeah. go to record shopping. So I would say to my dad to go on his lunch break and buy stuff for me. But the first album I have a memory of actually going up and buying for myself anywhere was uh, in Asda, <laughs> which I don't know if you want to call it a record shop. <laughs> uh, that's an important place now. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah. that's the thing, the undercut, um, same with books, they, yeah. they just undercut everyone. I got uh, Fat Boy Slim's You've Come a Long Way Baby Excellent. on tape for five ninety nine. I loved cassettes. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, they used to have a thing saying your whole taping is killing music. Yeah. If only they could see what's actually I happening know, now. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, so that was my first one. But like I said, I remember having albums. You know, I'd get albums bought for me at Christmas and stuff like that. So I had, um, what was it? Yeah, like being like 12, 13 at the turn of the century in Scotland. It was like Travis stuff like that. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, like the man, when the man who came man out, I remember yes, getting yes. that. Um, stereophonics <laughs> before they uh, I like to say before they went oh before they sold out yeah. okay, before yeah. they got rid of the drummer yeah exactly uh, god rest them yeah. but uh, I will maintain actually I will maintain the first record pretty good the first record's pretty good the first stereophonics record's pretty good yeah yeah I agree with you um, it just yeah it all went a bit wrong it did. Round about the time they covered handbags and glad rags. I don't personally like stereophonics yeah. that much, but yeah. um, my, my best pal who's in Liverpool at the moment um, will probably, he would he would dive in front of a bullet to save Kelly Jones. Really? <laughs> yeah. 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 We, uh, we because went. Because that's, that's a possibility that may yeah, happen. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, no, we went to see them live. He, we went to see. Them. He went to see them. I went along. <laughs> yeah, we were in the building um, in Belfast, and um, we uh, we. Bit, long story short, we waited outside the venue until about three in the morning to get stuff signed by them <laughs> in the pissing rain. <laughs> yeah, no, I just kind of like that album. I would never yeah. <laughs> what is that? Anyway, uh, it's interesting that we were talking about the. Uh, how people are now playing around with what they can do with vinyls and packaging and all that mm. because that was happening actually in the early 80s I remember buying um, fantastic picture discs uh, I remember you know, pink vinyl and you know, all this kind of stuff and it was really put ahead and then I think obviously the record companies went well we're selling the records anyway we don't need to do this yeah. people are buying them and of course that was their golden age where they could you know Vinyl became thinner and thinner, so they were yeah. really milking as many yeah. much as they could out yeah. of these things. Um, it's half the fun, though. Yeah, packaging. I agree with <laughs> the music you. is the hard work, and then whenever you get to the packaging, the presentation, that's whenever you can just go a bit nuts and kind of go, okay, well, this is what I've done. Let's dress it up nicely and send it out. <laughs> but, I mean, one of the great things about going back to buying vinyl is that you know these. I mean, it was whatever you think of prog, and we've talked about prog rock previously on these things. My word, they took advantage of having canvas on their covers, you know, huge gatefold sleeves with dragons and, you know, heavily busted women and things like that. Wizards, <laughs> strange wizards time and shit. Well, a lot of wizards, yeah, and goblins. I believe drugs may have been involved, I'm sure yeah. I'm um, Heaven for fun, that So way. how do you see things, uh, as you say, I think independent record stores, if they know their audience, they've got a regular customer, often, you know, monos obviously with the cafe and it's, you know, yeah. things like that 
Um, hopefully they will still manage to survive because I think there's still something great about going into. Yeah. I, I I love nothing better than having spare ten minutes or more going and browsing and something. Yeah. Like I say, I think the independents will largely be okay. Like they'll keep on as they have done because the kind of people who shop in Montreal and love music in Avalanche aren't the kind of people who would. You know, they're the kind of people who like sound quality. They're yeah. the kind of people who like having something to show for their money and stuff. Mm-hmm. So. They're not going to be put off by like whatever advances iTunes might make that yeah. might finally kill off like HMV or something like that. You know, if there's people hovering on the borderline saying, oh, you know, well, I, I download some stuff from iTunes, but I still like going into HMV. Whatever digital developments can happen that might kill that off. I think people who shop in independent record shops have made their stance. Yeah, you know? actually, <laughs> the, the deaths of the bigger stores might help them because you know people yeah. will say, well, I still want to go and buy mm-hmm. stuff. I've always gone to. HMV is the obvious one, and yeah. you know, maybe go somewhere else. It's yeah. interesting because I think what happens in the music business, books and other things fall at, uh, you know, so I think that's maybe the hopefully the future for uh, booksellers as well. Yeah. That they'll get proper, smaller Plan B books, for instance, is just moved to bigger premises uh, at the back of the Tron, and you know, he's having uh, readings. In fact, he's doing uh, a kind of a talk through Skype a three way thing with some comic book writer and stuff so he's got space for a venue and I think yeah. people as you say they, they kind of think of different ways of, of marketing these things I mean you're trying to obviously get your stuff into as many people's hands as possible yeah, yeah, how do you see uh, that, that is, it, is um, it all going to be online or do you think it'll be mm, I don't know it's hard to say um, but personally for me um, I actually sell more CDs uh, out of independent stores than I do from my website um, so that's, that's saying something, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I uh, I do sell a lot of downloads from um, iTunes and Spotify and places like that because that's where people go to kind of test things out. Yeah. I think, but um, CD wise, yeah, uh, from independent stores is where oh, that's most good. sales go. Excellent. Well, more power to them. How long will maybe rain, and maybe after this we can see if anything's left on this model. We've kind of done this wrong. Um, it's continuing with the music chat. I'm thinking of doing a new call. This is me doing an editorial on, on the podcast. I'm thinking of doing a new call. You know what really grinds my gears? <laughs> exactly. Uh, Ali says, no, I'm thinking of doing a, new, a regular column uh, on the, the website um, looking at classic, kind of lost and inverted comment albums. Albums that maybe have, uh, they don't fit into the idea of um, the neat narratives of saying, well, this was... Uh, indie pop in the early 80s in, in Scotland and it was all postcard but actually there was a lot more going on mm-hmm. rather than postcard records so things like that so um, and the first one of those is going to happen this week I think if I can get find time to write it and and then I think maybe I'll open it up to other people to send stuff in because uh, I'd, I'd be interested to, to see what other people's ideas are rather than just I know what mine are <laughs> I'd like to hear what other people's uh, are so tentatively titled Stop me if you think you've heard this one before. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, we'll have a meeting about that. Just decide whether that's a good idea or not. But I'll give you four examples and then you, we can talk about uh, uh, your examples. One um, is the one-off album. Um, and the one I'm going to write about is by One Dove, uh, Morning Dove White, which was made uh, around about the time, 91, 92, did it come out? And it kind of follows that screamadelica, the, the mix between dance and, and, and uh, pop rock music. It had uh, one 
Dot Allison is the singer on it, who before that I knew as the barmaid from the, the cul-de-sac. And I was like, she's in a band. And it also had, um, oh, Jim, what's his second name, who had played in um, Altered Images back in the day. Um, it's a gorgeous record. It's, it's, I don't think it sounds dated. A lot of people maybe will. It's, um, you know, these long, um, almost ambient backing tracks to it, with Dot's voice going over the top. Um, the reason it kind of got lost, I think, is because for whatever, there were lots of legal wrangles when the records get made. So it was supposed to come out, I think, in 91, mm. just after Scream of Delicat, when that music scene was absolutely at its height. When people who didn't normally go to clubs were going to clubs, people who didn't follow rock bands were going to see the Stone Roses or the Happy Mondays, or the, you know, there was a real crossover happening. And for that reason, it just didn't, it should have been a huge, huge record, and it just wasn't. It kind of fell by the wayside. Um, I don't know if either of you heard it. I've not heard that one, but the story certainly sounds familiar. A lot of the ones that I'll talk about, um, it, it is that kind of thing. It kind I of think. came out and it just didn't really do what people hoped it would. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I think that's quite common. And often it is timing, it's just not catching mm. uh, something. Um, another one um, is an album which was on when we were doing the top five. Um, Scottish albums and we didn't get to talk about it, it was by a band called Wynn which were um, basically Davy Henderson's band who had been in the Fire Engines in Edinburgh and went on to be in the Nectarine number no. 9 but when the album's called Uh Tears Baby and it was supposed to be, <laughs> <laughs> it's great and uh, uh exclamation mark Tears Baby I think if I remember correctly <laughs> over there. and as you can see I'm sure I'll get that now it's Ali has left the table. table. He is bringing the table. vinyl over. Oh, my vinyl, gorgeous. You can see it was all about iconography and, you know, there's, uh, the cover's all shiny things. and It's just, it, it, talk about packaging, they'd really thought about what they're yeah. doing. It also says a trash icon and it's got tracks like Super Popoid Groove, Shampoo Tears, Un-American Broadcasting, which is actually Wynn's version of an old Fire Engines track. Um, but you've got the power famously was taken for a McEwen's Lager advert where they push it. It was the time where they decided they were going to spend massive amounts of money on advertising and as always, alcohol kind of led the way. And it's kind of a take on an Escher painting with their, you know, their kind of myth of Sisyphus, they're rolling the ball up the hill and this, and this track, You've Got the Power, is playing. Meanwhile, in a kind of Glasgow club, Folk are sitting drinking pints of McEwan's Lager, it's weird. <laughs> and then this, uh, anyway, it's a strange thing. You can see it on YouTube, it's great to see. But it was everywhere. That song became a big hit, but it never, again, for whatever reason, Wind did not take off. It should have been Davy Henderson, who's a fantastic musician, should have been his big, big break. And I've got a feeling actually it's because he didn't want to play the game and he was a cussed old soul and uh, probably went, nah, I'm not going to do these things that you're asking me to do. And that's probably quite a reason why a lot of people don't get on as yeah. well. But um, well, you've got a couple of examples, Aaron. Of um, yeah, I've made a list of um, four kind of ones that I definitely want to push on to other people because yeah. they're fantastic, but uh, I'll, I'll not talk at length. Um, the first one is uh, Illuminations by Buffy St. Marie. Oh, yeah. Um that came out in 1969. She was a uh, Native American kind of folk uh, singer who then branched out into rock. This was her sixth album, and um, I think it basically uh, it bombed right. because it was full of weird shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the whole album was made up of her vocals plus acoustic guitar, which are both 
manipulated by uh, Buckler synthesizers. Right. And uh, the whole thing is just, um, it's really... It's really eerie, you know, she's playing the part of uh, Native American kind of witch, basically. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. It was the world's first quadraphonic album, oh. which might have had another... <laughs> he didn't know to yeah. <laughs> No one could play it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it, it came out in 1969, bombed, and then it's just kind of resurged... Um, since then, uh, it's Steve Hackett's favorite yeah, album right. of Genesis. She was. Uh, was she, did you go out with Bob Dylan, or was she kind of? In, in, she was in that group. She was one. lumped in with that group. Yeah, 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 yeah. She was definitely on that scene. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. She's. Uh, I just wanted to mention her because she's such an interesting character mm. as well. Um, on the album she covers she does a really weird cover of Leonard Cohen's God is Alive Magic is Afoot right and um, oh. s- some producer I don't know who or someone on Sesame Street heard it and she basically got a job on Sesame Street for five years off <laughs> <laughs> it fantastic I, you know, that's a classic example of the, the thing I want to look at because I know the name you know she appeared in many of the histories of you know pop and rock music as a kind of footnote and mm-hmm. I've never I don't think I could you know if you played me a track I wouldn't be sure if yeah. I hadn't heard it so that'd be excellent and what did she do in Sesame Street don't tell me she was inside the big bird suit. no <laughs> <laughs> well if you wondered why Elmo was always going on about the genocide of his people <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I think she she kind of got wheeled on as kind of like the token Native American, and she played her mouth bow and everything. Oh, marvelous! Um, yeah, so. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. What, another one that I'll yeah. mention is uh, a bit more recent. Uh, it's by a guy who goes under the moniker of Songs of Green Pheasant. Fabulous. Um, he is. He's fantastic. Uh, it came out. Writing that down. It came out on Fat Cat in two thousand and five. And it's got a great story behind it. Um, the guy, the guy's full name is Duncan Sumpner. He's a school teacher by day, and it, in the evenings he was recording this demo of uh, all these tunes that he was uh, writing. He sent it off to Fat Cat, and they loved it. The only problem was he'd given them like a dodgy email address okay. to get in touch with them. Um, so basically, they couldn't get in touch with him uh, for about two years. <laughs> So it sat stagnating. Um, they were listening to it in the office this whole time. And Loving it. Anyway, finally they managed to get in touch with him and said that they loved it so much that they didn't even want him to re-record. They just wanted to send out the demo as the album. And uh, he agreed. So and that's yeah, it. And, and that's it. And I've never heard of yeah. that at all. Um, it's, it's lovely stuff. It's kind of a little bit like Aerial Pink, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. more kind of uh, folky and flourishes of warm sound and oh, things like that so it's lovely yeah, it really is Chris what well, are you giving us out of your yeah, extensive well, list wow. <laughs> I had a wee bit despite the size of the list I had a wee bit of trouble with this um, <laughs> because uh, the whole kind of concept of a lost album stuff I almost wonder if it's kind of going out with the internet now because you know everybody's going to you, you know you'll say something oh I've just discovered this amazing album that nobody's ever heard of and somebody will pop up and go I've heard of that well, yeah, 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 album, you know, if people you know, say that we're, yeah. we're, we're just doing it from you know listening and talking to other people and them never yeah. having come up you're right one day I put a track up by uh, Yurisi Yatsura and said oh I haven't heard this in ages well I play it all the time yeah, sometimes yeah, exactly. okay that's good that kind of thing and I mean like depending because like 
music's become so kind of splintered as well and everybody can now follow their own wee niche and stuff like that yeah. you know and become an expert in any given genre just by you know with like a torrent or whatever um like i'm really into uh like 90s american indie rock and stuff like that mm-hmm. and a lot of the stuff that i love is you know you read like american reviews you read like pitchfork and the av club and stuff and they talk about it like the way we talk about I don't know, like like a lot of the Britpop stuff, you know, yeah. like Stone Roses and stuff like that, um, or even uh, so, like I've really got into Archers of Loaf in the past year, yeah. who like are beloved by like a lot of American tracks. Uh, Robert Crisco ranks them alongside Pavement as one of like the best American indie rock bands. Again, I know the name and I've never listened to it. Exactly. Well, see, it's they were very difficult to track down before the past six months. The uh, Merge Records have only just started reissuing all of their albums. Uh, and they're amazing absolutely amazing albums but it is the kind of thing like next to somebody like Pavement you know who's, mm-hmm. who are one of those bands whose albums are still widely available in record shops but even a lot of bands like Yola Tango who are my like full stop favourite band uh, good luck trying to find their back catalogue <laughs> in record shops over here you yeah. know even bigger bands like current bands like Spoon who are huge in like American mm-hmm. and indie rock circles just now you know selling out like thousands of seats you know in you know per gig and stuff you know you're talking like playing like 2,000 3,000 seat venues and stuff and again back catalogs very hard to track down over here so the whole kind of concept of lost album I think can be you know it's, it's almost like a cultural thing I mean and I, I know that like the reverse is true as well I mean you know a band like Prefab Sprout like we both love mm-hmm. and uh, you know have like quite a still have quite a big strong following yeah. over here of people who kind of came up with them or whatever uh, and in America you know they're just like a kind of you know oddity you know yeah, curio sure. you know what have you so um so yeah i think i think the whole kind of co- and i think as well for like uh in terms of something that you've that you've grown up with or like a band that you loved when you were growing up or whatever you kind of need a good 10 20 years distance or i think <laughs> where you can co- start calling it like a lost album when you realize wait is there nobody else is talking about this yeah, anymore and i still love about, it yeah um yeah. so i feel from that kind of point of view i, I feel like i i don't have a lot I don't have the necessary amount of time yet on the stuff that I grew up listening to to be able to say definitively this is a lost album. Uh, so I've got a couple from the past few years I think didn't get enough attention and could that's, go that way. That's fine. Scottish ones. So uh, I had uh, This Is What Makes Us by Foxface. Right. Which came out in 2007 over here. And they're uh, almost like a kind of Scottish equivalent of Smog or something like that okay. or Bill Callahan. Same kind of weird dark vaguely folky stuff you know same kind of guitar lines and and what have you I saw them support uh, Idlewild or Idlewild related projects a couple of times (laughs) Uh, like Roddy Wimbledon solo stuff or whatever and uh, they only put out this one album uh, in 2007 I really liked it Uh, they were a three piece Um, like I say this kind of folky you know with electric guitars and stuff there's wee bits that sound like more overtly <laughs> you know, kind of whatever, you know, for 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 one of a better phrase. Is that Scottish music? Is that Scottish music? Yeah, that's it's the new genre. It's the new genre. And you can show them that. Yeah, it's the new version of the Camden Lords. The hookty tookty, but um, yeah. So I really like that, but again, nobody mentioned it because it wasn't on. It kind of well, first it came between like the kind of the end of Chemical Underground's dominance you know he's like mm. once round about the time that Arab Strap broke up I mean I know Chemical Underground are still putting out great albums and stuff like that but in terms of being like a big central dominating cultural force in Scottish music I think they kind of hit their peak round about the early part of the last decade and you know they're still bubbling away uh, to, to to great success mm-hmm. but um, I think the, the mantle's kind of shifted to Fat Cat now who even though they're based in Brighton 
are at home to like Frightened Rabbit, Twilight Sad, We Were Promised Jetpacks, and all these yes, guys, yeah. you know, bands, Scottish bands that are doing really well, mm-hmm. you know, internationally as it's well. Like as, that can as happen, yeah. yeah. So uh, I think the the Fox Face album, it, it kind of came between the end of Chemical Underground's dominance and the rise of Fat Cat, as that kind of is home to a lot of Scottish bands. So it's not signed to either of them. I think it came out on Gargle Blast. Um, so it's, it's almost kind of falling between the cracks. That's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, the album that, that you would think would be better received or known and what's yeah. come through yeah. is that there's all sorts of stories and reasons why. That these yeah. Um, the guy from... I think they only put out that one album. I thought they were defunct until... I noticed that they were playing a gig in mono last year, uh, which I didn't get along to. Uh, I did notice on Record Store Day last year, actually, that the guy from Foxface was in a new band with the drummer from Sons and Daughters and one of the guys who I've seen working behind the bar in mono. So I don't know, he, he, so I assume a, he's in other bands as well. It's a Scottish super group. It's a Scottish super group. I don't know what they were called, but uh, <coughs> good, good luck to him. Um, but that and uh, the other one I wanted to talk about was from last year uh, I, I think I mentioned it on the first podcast here actually it's by a band called Copy Haho who are originally from Stonehaven and um, I thought we'd have had a lot more attention for the record the record's great it's very um, it's, it's like indie rock but more in the kind of as I say the American sense where it's just it's catchy and it's proper full on guitars and stuff like this it's not it's not angsty in the least and it's not the kind of more melancholy stuff that you'd necessarily associate with Scottish indie rock traditions. Um, it doesn't fit into like the more upbeat Scottish stuff either. It doesn't sound like Teenage Fan Club or any of the other power pop stuff. Mm-hmm. It's more just straight ahead. I would say this inspiration definitely comes from bands like Pavement okay. rather than anything that's come before it in Scotland. And it's just a really fun record. I mean, it's just called Copy Haho. Uh, they put out an, e- an EP before it called um, Bread for Skills and Magic. Uh, which I think was 2009 and I've seen them live a few times and yeah just a really fun solid band and again nobody <laughs> seems to be paying any attention to them so it's kind of hard to call it a lost record because it only came out a year yeah, ago it sounds, it's it sounds like it's going that way <laughs> yeah, it's going that way um, so that and the, the, the other one was um, again if you can call it a lost record anymore because I mean if it was truly lost I probably would never have heard of it but uh, Vashti Bunyan's just another diamond day yeah, it came out in the early seventies. But that that, that uh, I knew what someone was going to mention. That. Yeah, it kind of had a revival. Yeah. Um, I think about five six years ago because uh, there was track Diamond Day was using a phone advert and no, what have you. But uh, the album, I mean, she's still not talked about in the same breath as like Nick Drake and John Martin mm-hmm. and all these other kind of artists from that period that you'd imagine her to be talked about in the same breath as. Um, which is a shame because the album's gorgeous yeah. you know but she did um, do dis- famously do a disappearing she did. act didn't mm-hmm. she? she that's did. another great story I think yeah. she's going to hitchhike her uh, so, yeah. she, it was a Romney caravan wasn't it mm-hmm. she, <laughs> she, she drove from London to, to the island uh, <laughs> the 60s yeah. the 60s late 60s was, yeah. she was saying she was taken under the wing of Andrew Luke Oldham of when she moved down to London uh to become his protege, and then and she fled. Away. She fled from, <laughs> from the Louvre. Yeah, <laughs> disappeared. Fled from the Louvre. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, put out a comeback album in two thousand five. Yeah. Uh, she was in Ballad of the Books as well. She was, yeah, uh, doing a song with Rog Glass. I'd forgotten that. I should yeah. have known that. We could have asked him. Yeah, that. so right. um, written by him, and he plays guitar and sings on it as well. Oh, he sings back in vocals. Yeah. yeah. But um, he was pushing, he was pushing Vashti out the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> look, you one. had your moment in the sun thirty-five years ago. <laughs> it's my time to shine. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's she's you know hailed as kind of like a godmother of the freak folk scene now. You know, you've got people like Devendra Banhart and Johnny yeah, Newsom right. talking her up, and uh, 
still relatively few people know about her, you mm. know? So, I mean, I suppose in that sense, you could say it's a lost record, even though so it has been revived to a degree. That's the kind of thing I think, I think there's mileage in this, but we'll see. I'll do a, right the first one and then put it out thinking, because I'm, it's just a great way of finding out, rather than people just telling us, you know, the, as you said, the stories mm. behind these things are fascinating. And yeah. why didn't this come through when everyone thought it was going to happen? Uh, yeah. Okay, well that's, we've had an editorial meeting and that, that is going to happen. It's a final one, uh, particularly because uh, Ian's sitting here is, and it kind of rounds up the whole chat on a uh, record store day, is, um, oh gosh, what's it called now? A Bite It by Whiteout. Now Whiteout were Greenock's finest in the, were they early 90s? Yeah, it was kind of mid. And they kind of, again, they didn't appear to, to I presume this is the only album they had, and the single was called Jackie's Racing. It's a great track. It's very teenage fan club, superstar, and all the bands that were coming out at that time from Scotland seemed to be coming out the same area and playing very similar stuff. And it was um, like BMX Bandits and all that stuff. And it was Coat Bridge area, that thing. And I think it just was geographical, was the fact that they didn't seem to do as well as anyone <laughs> else. Because the music's right up there. You've listened to it recently. What do you think? Uh, it's dated, is it? Uh, it is. It is. It kinda, I think it raises uh, another editorial point. Are you going to make a decision on which album should stay lost? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't mean, I'm always... So really, you, you would say this. I'm, not, I'm actually not going to write about that. I just wanted to, to talk about it. One, because it's a different thing. You, you know, just being in the wrong place at the right time hmm. can, be, can uh, mean that you're uh, not going to happen. And actually, I mean, I haven't listened. I, I lent you a copy of it, but I haven't listened really to it for ages. Yeah, I do remember it's it. All right. Yeah, for what, exactly. For, for that kind of fare, um, it's, it's a pretty good effort. And it, it does follow that thing that it should have worked. Because there was a, well, I was a bit too young to mm -hmm. really be kind of active on Greenwich music scene mm -hmm. at that point. But from what I've heard, it really did have a good scene. It did, yeah, I used to get down a lot. Played, yeah. uh, the Stone Roses played, a lot of the, the the sort of larger acts touring Charlton's acts, actually, the Charlton's the played Charlton's as well would, would come to Greenock on their their circuit and it was kind of happening so it was like yeah all the ingredients were there uh, a fairly solid Britpop album was made and yet mm, that was it well but don't cry too much for White Out because um, I was saying that I, I ended up in a, a record store in Bangkok it's I, I went as well the year I went kind of around the world it's record store euphemism yeah, yeah, yeah. well this is the thing I've just realised and this kind of says a lot about me I arrive on my own in Bangkok and what did I do I said seek out tower records <laughs> <laughs> that's, I'm sure that's what most people do but um, it was actually seriously it's because I was a little bit I was on my own I was completely thrown by this weird culture that it was completely different so what did I do is I went for something that was uh, familiar and record store was it and it happened to be the night that the Michael Jackson History album was being launched. And for, for, you know, they, they, they had him up the Thames, you know, yeah. a big statue of him up the Thames. So it was packed. I, I got free food because they had a big nice. kind of party for it. But the weirdest thing about that night, and that, there's something they serve, weirder. Did they serve bubbles and squid? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm only kidding. Um, no, it was, I can't think what they had. We, no, it was very nice actually, it was a nice uh, spread, I, I don't know if the Tower Records in Bangkok's still there, but you know, they do a nice spread. But the weirdest thing in the night was looking at their charts and uh, Whiteout's Bite, it was number seven 
in Thailand in the charts in 1995. Oh, there you go. And I thought, wow. Where's the phrase big in Japan? Big, <laughs> this was yeah, big in Japan. That. It was yeah. like yeah. shampoo being big in Japan and oh, all yeah. that weird stuff. White out, I'd made it in Thailand. So uh, it's a happy ending, but it does say there is <laughs> a happy ending in Bangkok. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes, exactly. And who'd have thunk it? Yeah. Uh, the, and, but there is that thing that whenever I've gone to a city, I've always looked out their kind of record shop and gone. I remember going in, in Sydney within a week, going there and going, Yeah, I'm going to be here almost every week, and then picking up. Grand Prix with Teenage Fan Club when it came out and the second Tinder Sticks album and all of this stuff and it just there's something wherever you go that that uh, you know even more than a bookshop I think finding somewhere where you're going to meet like-minded folk even if you don't talk to them yeah. <laughs> but it's 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 a, it's it's a comforting thing and um, yeah save our record stores is what I say <laughs> if only for the fact that miracles can happen like. You know, small band from Greenock, make it big worldwide. <laughs> um, since uh, Aaron is our guest, I think it's only right, and you've not, never been here and we've done these, so I'll, I'll maybe ask you, we'll see. Um, the five questions. Oh no, I didn't think you were going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to do my homework. <laughs> you know, there's no homework needed. It works best when people don't do homework. All right. We still suspect <laughs> that Mark Buckland did a bit of homework on these. Um, actually, it's best just to ask them out. So, um, your favourite book, Aaron? Oh. <laughs> start with the most difficult one um, favourite book I'm, I'm not it doesn't help that I'm not very good with favourites um, okay. to start with but uh, favourite books I think I'll have to I'll have to narrow it down to oh, Jesus I know it's very tough but you know whatever you prefer today yeah well that's it. it well okay <laughs> I'll say um, recently I read um, The Storm Away Way oh yeah by Kevin McNeil? Kevin McNeil, yeah, right? it's tremendous. We were talking about this yeah, yeah, yesterday. Yeah, it's a tremendous, that's it, very unexpected it. book. So I would say, um, I don't know if it's my favourite book of all time, no. it's certainly my favourite book just now. Yeah. Um, and it's very, very good. So yeah. people should that section at the end, I don't want to give anything away because it's a bit mm. of a pause, but mm. it's beautifully written. It's gorgeous um, and it. Um, it really, it really is affecting. You know, mm. I was reading it and wincing. Yeah, and, exactly. Um, yeah, you can tell he's also a poet. I think it comes mm. through in the language of it's tremendous mm-hmm. uh, book. Uh, which well, well, let's follow on again. <laughs> Writer. Writer. Um, I thought about this um, not specifically for this, just recently. But who, whose books have I read more than anyone else? Um, it's it's John Steinbeck. Yeah. Um, we studied him at school uh, of Mice and Men, and I loved it so much. I went on to read East of Eden, and uh, I'm just starting to get into Grapes of Wrath, mm-hmm. which everyone says is his best work, yeah. so I'm, I'm glad I worked my way up to it. <laughs> I haven't read Grapes of Wrath, I've read the other two, but Steinbeck's yeah, phenomenal. No, he's good. fantastic. I mean, just um, some of those passages in of Mice and Men, you can feel the sun, you know, yeah. the Salinas sun beating down on you. It's like, similarly with uh, Tennessee Williams, you get a real sense of place and, mm-hmm. and, and culture and all of these things that come through. A, another easy one, favourite music stroke band of the moment? Um, or of all time, whatever you want to do. The, well, this one is kind of easy. Band, I can say Camera Obscura. Um, they're my favourite. Yeah. <laughs> Big fan as well. I've seen yeah. them uh, many times and... Um, 
Yeah, I was just actually, when I was saying loading up my, my iPod, I was loading up the back catalogue. Mm-hmm. So, Camera Obscura Summer will be always a good thing. Yeah, no. Um, film. Oh, um, it's possibly a draw. That's fine. We, we, we take <laughs> We're not just sticking about this, you know? <laughs> you must choose one. Not going to leave. That's his forbidden. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's a draw between Alien and... Jaws. Excellent. Well, uh, Jaws was Alan Bissett's <laughs> favourite. Listen, yeah. you'll get Jaws is the film. I've said this before that I've seen more times than any other mm-hmm. movie. And if it's on TV, I will always watch yeah. it. Absolutely, yeah. it's phenomenally good. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's all about the relationships between the guys yeah. rather than yeah. than, than, the, than the big rubber shark. Yeah, <laughs> it's no, it Bruce <laughs> and uh, aliens. <laughs> uh, so you'll be looking forward to Prometheus. Uh, definitely. Who isn't? Yeah. <laughs> I um, will be there. <laughs> I'll be doing a record st- store day outside my cinema. <laughs> well, I'm hoping that we're going to be able to have uh, Kate Dickey uh, might do a, a, a chat with us on the podcast, and she's in Prometheus. Mm. Um, I don't know if she's allowed to talk about it yet, <laughs> but uh, we'll see what we can <laughs> Just do. Just turn the mics off. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But I want to know um, all the behind the scenes. It's an amazing yeah, cast. Yeah, I've d- I've really been avoiding everything okay. um, about it actually, okay. just because I want to go in completely uh, unprepared and just let it wash over me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is. I hope it's as good as a, as as you hope it is, mm-hmm. and I hope it is. And finally, we have um, the event, the thing, the piece of music or whatever that made you think, I want to do this, I want to, to make more music. Oh, um, let's see. Well, there's there's one specific event that I can mention. It's put, I, I don't think it's, it wasn't like an epiphany moment or anything. Mm-hmm. It was just a really good night. Um, it was whenever Patrick Wolfe came to Edinburgh, I think it was last year sometime um and he was playing the liquid rooms yes, the yeah. newly refurbished and um it was just a it was just a great performance it was so good i'm a big fan of his yeah. and um he was just absolutely flawless um and it was it was eventful as well because i remember about halfway through the gig this this doll kind of over towards my left side was just gabbing away to her pal really noisily and uh you know, nobody wanted to say anything, but eventually this one guy in the audience waited for a break in the song and he said, he leaned over to her and he said, excuse me, we came here to listen to him, not to you. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, Padre, he obviously heard what he said on stage, but he just uh, completely nonchalant, just hurried on. <laughs> Carried on regardless. The gig just got better and better yeah. and better. And I just thought, well, do you know what? I'm, I'm not really a performing musician, but if I, if I ever do decide to become a performing musician, <laughs> I want to be... That's quite something, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's made some tremendous uh, music and often very different. You were saying that progressing from album to album mm. does some very different stuff. Uh, well, thanks for those. Any comments on Anne's choices, Chris? <laughs> I just saw you there and he's not even, he's not even been listening uh-huh. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, don't have anything to add. I don't have anything to add uh, excellent. <laughs> excellent choices already yes. I think you agree well done <laughs> well uh, that's the end of another uh, fantastic pod and um, there's the music to come which you'll hear uh, after I shut up um, I don't know what we're doing next time as I say we're hoping to have Kate Dickey um, coming in and chatting about her career um, which is uh, on stage and on screen has been uh, fascinating and, and you know Red Road and now Prometheus and I've seen her on stage many times so 
Um, and she may even have Kathleen McDermott with her. Hope so. Not sure. So don't, you know, don't promise anything. But uh, we'll see you next time with, with some people, basically. <laughs> Cheers. Getting old 
again I would love to run away with you Hide away just the two of us You unlocked me like no one could Hard to do that I wasn't looking For what You gave I didn't ask for Anything At all I can find You understand this feeling is clogging up my heart Secret that we keep 